about badass women alive and dead. This is a present day Karen talking to you. We have a special Texas edition history lesson for you, and I hope you enjoy it. This is my talk with my good friend, Sarah May Wright. Sarah works at Hobby Airport in Houston and recently saved up enough money to go back to school and complete her engineering degree. I'm so proud of her. She's an artist in her free time and has had her work shown in galleries. So yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. She is both the kindest person I know and the person with the most Texas statriotism, as our friend Sam put it. So roll on back to, to let's say, 2010. I was going to college in South Texas, but I was a Texas transplant, and Sarah basically knighted me as an honorary Texan by hazing me at the state capitol in Austin. Hazing makes it sound so violent, <laughs> like you had to go fight through the Battle of Gonzales or something. But yes, uh, you said the, uh, the state pledge in the middle of the rotunda at the capitol in Austin after learning all about history, because I remember we went and we looked at the pictures, and I was really excited and very Texan, <laughs> and I'm sure many people were just rolling their eyes, but that's okay. Right, because they were probably, like, from, I don't know, Iowa or, like, Connecticut, and just be like, I guess we'll stop in at the state capital of Texas, whatever, and you were just like, this is my prime place to go in Austin. Like, I am making my pilgrimage to the Texas state capital because... My inner Texas blood, uh, like, infused with <laughs> cactus juice and tequila calls me there. <laughs> I mean, why else would you go to Austin? <laughs> You're right. I can't think of another reason. <laughs> You're absolutely right, Sarah. Um, so, I mean, uh, basically when myself and the other women who do this podcast, Leah and Nadia and Kristen, we were like, oh, we should have a Chingonas in Texas history episode um, because Texas has a really interesting, intricate history uh, by national, I guess. I don't know. I guess you would actually call it Pan-American, a Pan-American history. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, Chingonas that don't get kind of enough credit. And immediately I was like, we have to have Sarah. Like, Sarah, <laughs> <laughs> Sarah would die. And also, like, I couldn't research it as well as I think that you did. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's sort of the introduction. I asked you to kind of look up some chingonas in Texas history uh, and tell us about them. Well, if by research you mean, like, the first thing I did really was call my grandma. Yes, see, this is the research I wouldn't have thought to have done, was to call your grandma. <laughs> My grandma would have been so happy if you called her. She just, would have, she just would have been like, oh, yes, I can tell you all about Texas. Well, I guess I'll start off. One of them, this is just a sentence because I just want to say this because I found this out. And I know I liked the monkeys growing up. I love the monkeys. Right? And I was, I was thinking, I, I'm pretty sure Karen did too, if my memory serves me, which it rarely does. Um, but, well, I found out something neat. This is more of a fun fact, though. Uh, facts are fun. This woman named, oh yeah, right? <laughs> this woman named Betty Graham, mm -hmm. there's two things that she's known for. 
One is being the mother of Michael Nesmith, of the monkeys. And the other one is the inventor of Whiteout. I did know that, actually, because I'm such a monkey head. Oh, that, I, that blew my mind, but I'm not surprised that you knew that. But, yeah, she's also from San Antonio, which, you know, San Antonio was probably the closest larger city to where I grew up. So that, that was just nice to hear, like, oh, someone from kind of the southern portion of Texas is famous for something interesting. <laughs> that just makes me happy on the inside for some yeah, reason. Yeah, no, that's crazy. And, like, women have invented some really amazing things and they don't get credit for. And I didn't prepare any for this for this talk but that's one that i always remember like a world without whiteout is not a world i want to live in like what do you do if you make an ex a mistake in pen you just throw away the whole paper you just cross it out like what what do you i used whiteout yesterday <laughs> thank you betty graham wait betty <laughs> it i think it's betty so I, i've only ever read her name no one's ever told me her name but it's b-e-t-t-e -T -T -E. oh Interesting. So is that Bet or Betty? That's crazy though. <laughs> yay. Yay for Miss Graham for giving us white out or liquid paper, I think is the non trademark term. That was uh that was the original thing that she had called it is what I read. Was liquid paper and then someone ran with the, the white out term. Wow. Do you do you know like what sort of led her to this thing or, or... Is... Now, that one I've heard growing up before. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that she was from Texas at the time, but I had heard that she was a secretary who had used house paint Oh, to cover up her typing mistakes. Genius. Right? I, I never would have thought of that. I would have just, like, crumbled up the paper, been pissed, and start exactly. over. This, uh, this next one, you might marvel as well, but to me, it's, it's funny. Like, I, I recognize that to her, it was serious business, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> th this woman named Angelina Eberly, she's uh, a hero of the Texas Archive War. What? Which, we've seen her statue, because, as you mentioned before, I gave you a little tour of uh, the Texas history stuff in right. Austin, but uh, you might not remember it, the Texas Archive War was a little conflict that uh, that came about when they were arguing over where to place the Texas capital. Hmm. Wait, what? Oh, I, I meant to ask you this. What sort of year or era are we talking about? Because whenever I think about history, I like to picture what outfits everyone is wearing. Um, so it just helps. <laughs> uh, Angelina Eberly, uh, she was born in like, I have it written down here. Uh, 1798. Oh, oh, so we're talking like corsets and hoop skirts and... Okay. Well, the... I mean, the thing that she did that was famous was uh, during the Texas Archive War. And that would have been in, what, the 1840s? Oh, okay. Because it was while Texas was its own... Uh, was its own country. Right. Uh, well, I can Google it here. 1842, that was the Texas Archive wow. War. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so... The Texas Archive War was while Texas was the Republic of Texas. And she she lived in Austin at the time, and there were two two main teams fighting over where the capital was going to be. Houston or Austin. Mm, okay. And at the time the capital was in Austin. Like that's where the uh, that's where the 
the president lived, that's where the National Archives were, just how that's where the, you know, the state archives are right. now. And the reason why the state archives are still there is largely credited to her because Sam Houston wanted to make Houston the capital <laughs> he of would. Texas. <laughs> Freaking know, Houston. It's, it's like, but... <laughs> oh, I have a proposition that perhaps the city named after me uh, should be the most important city in the in the country. Just just uh, just throwing that thought out just, there. You know, just yeah. saying. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, but now the, the Austinites, of course, were were not we're not keen on that. So it was mostly just political squabbling, you know, arguments, things like mm-hmm. that. But Houston, Sam Houston, I should say, not the city, the, the right. man. <laughs> he, because uh, <laughs> I don't get confusing if I just keep saying right. Houston. It's like, uh, but uh, uh, since I'm in the city of Houston, if I just keep shouting Houston, like we're so proud of the city here that no one's even going to notice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but Sam Houston ordered, like in secret, he ordered the National Archives to be moved at night. What? So, he ordered, basically was like this team of guys, like, sneaking, (laughs) sneaking into the, uh, what is it called, the the land office building, the general land management building, something Uh like that, and just taking the archives. What assholes. (laughs) Right? But I mean, like, if your president tells you to do that, I guess you have to, I don't know. (laughs) But I'm sure these people were just following orders and all that the Nuremberg defense they were just following right. orders but so wait uh, was the thought kind of like <laughs> like in the morning Sam Houston like all Texas would wake up and be like oh whoa the archives are in Houston I guess that's our capital now like shrug basically <laughs> yeah like the, well keep in mind this is the 1840s and moving stuff had to be hard right. So I guess his idea was, well, moving moving them back would cost like so much money and be so difficult and all that, that we'll just, it's fine. <laughs> but also, at the time, uh, Texas was still sort of under attack from Mexico. I mean, from one perspective, Mexico was just trying to get their land right. back. But from, you know, the, the Texian perspective, they were under attack by this foreign enemy who knew where all of their landmarks were in Austin, so they needed to move them. Like that was the uh, the political excuses that was that that they used to say, "Hey, we need to move these archives." But yeah, a- Angelina Everly, she uh, she was an innkeeper slash tavern owner, and she was kind of a big name because the previous president Lamar uh-huh. with two R's. Uh, I believe it's one R. Oh, okay. But, you know, spelling has never been my thing. I'd have to Google it. Uh, <laughs> spelling of names, at, at least. I'm probably thinking <laughs> of Star County. Never mind. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, President Lamar ate at her uh, tavern all the time while he was president. Because she was a tavern owner there in Austin. And in her inn, Sam Houston preferred to stay there. As opposed to whatever the uh, like the presidential house was at the time, so she got wind of this plot and fired a cannon 
into the general land office building. Whoa, what? I thought you were going to say, like, she alerted someone and they stopped it, but she just, like, straight up was well, like... it alerted them for sure. <laughs> yeah, okay, good point. Um, but she was just like, I'm not, I'm not fucking around with bureaucracy. I'm just going to fire a cannon. What? <laughs> she was not one for bureaucracy. Yeah. She fired a cannon into the general land office building, and that like for one stopped the people who were doing it because someone's firing at them what is this and alerted the town's people in general and that is what started the conflict like the actual fighting conflict oh that started the archive war yes wow I guess I guess Austin won the archive war (laughs) Austin won uh, the uh, (laughs) as you know you've you've been to the the state capitol there and uh, the the archives are there as well. Um, there's that, that really cool library that's there that has a lot of the old archives, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But that's, like, they never got successfully sneaked out of the uh, of the town because uh, Angelina Eberly, was, she, was, she was on the ball. She was ready with that cannon. I don't know where she got a cannon, but <laughs> she was ready wow. with it. That's, it's so crazy to, A, like, be a tavern owner as a woman in 1842 and then like the most important dudes in the state are staying at your tavern because I guess like you have good beer or whatever um and then you like overhear a plot to steal your country's archives and you just straight up fire a (laughs) cannon into the building like that's amazing I I like how it was that and not like, I'm going to put up some posters to like protest this or I'm going to alert whoever the opposing politician is for this. Like, nope, cannon, straight cannon. (laughs) Not even like, I'm going to write a strongly worded letter to the editor, to the newspaper, just like, uh, I've been looking for an excuse to fire this cannon and this seems like a good time. You know, given, given like as a Texan, I guess I could say this, but given how Texans are. (laughs) She may have been looking for an excuse to fire a cannon. Because if I had a cannon, <laughs> I'd really want to That's fire true. it. <laughs> okay, good point. Good point. Uh, the next one I have here is my second longest one. And then then on to the longest one. Uh, now, this one, you've seen her picture before because she is a governor. Oh. And when I first saw her picture, it kind of blew my mind. Because she was governor, uh, when was it? The first, the first election she won was the 1924 election. Oh, wow. It's not who I was thinking of at all. You were thinking of Ann yeah, Richards. Yeah, totally. Uh, that, a lot of people think that she's the first female governor of Texas. Nope. It is uh, Miriam Ferguson, who uh, they called her Ma, because her initials were Miriam, uh, I forget her middle name, but starts with an A. So M.A., they just called her Ma Ferguson. Oh. Her uh, her husband was governor before her, and everyone just called him Pa. Even though his name was, like, it was James. <laughs> We're just like, Ma and Pa, done. Again, the <laughs> most Texan thing. <laughs> right? Yeah. Just like, yeah, this is our governor Pa, and later on we had our governor Ma. She actually had two terms, though. Oh, wow. Yeah, she had, a, <laughs> like, two separate terms. Hmm? My one question, so this is in the 20s, you said? Her first, uh, her first term was in the twenties. Her second term was in the thirties. Wow! So Texas is a U.S. state at this point. Yes, Texas was not a republic for very long at all. 
like a week? <laughs> no, it wasn't that bad. Uh, did you ever have to take Texas history? No. See, okay, so that's why you were disappointed with me back then and now. Oh, that's true. <laughs> because because I, I, I just conveniently avoided Texas history by like a year. Because all Texas public school children have to take Texas history in like fifth grade and then something else like eighth grade right uh seventh grade was when I took it okay yeah I just I was not in the state for like the year or years where everyone else got it so I just arrived like clueless (laughs) like what do you mean we have to stand for the state pledge that's weird um so yeah oh so when everyone was remembering the Alamo you were like I I don't know man (laughs) what is this (laughs) to me it was just a funny line from a Pee Wee Herman movie oh that, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of like, like we had to learn like everybody's name. Like uh, there, there's someone that I, I almost uh, picked for this list, but I've heard about her so much. And I just think these other people are more interesting. Yeah. But uh, there's uh, someone whose last name was Dickinson and she was one of the sole survivors, her and her child of the Alamo. Oh <laughs> yeah. See, I didn't know about her. They sent her uh the the um, quote unquote invader like Mexican invaders let her live and sent her away with two dollars and a blanket is the story hmm. to like th- to travel to back to uh, the capital and the the general and such and say like hey this guy he means business he's he's not he's not messing around oh got it okay sorry so back to uh, Ma. Okay, so uh, Texas was definitely a state by then. Okay. Uh, Texas, the Republic of Texas, uh, well, the independence was declared on, uh, it was March 2nd, 1836. That's one of the things they make you memorize in Texas history. <laughs> Good to uh, know. <laughs> didn't have to Google that one. And uh, the annexation is December 29, 1845. Oh, okay. So, you know, a little under 10 years right. as a as an independent country, um, it be- had to become a state, in my opinion, because, like, if you, when you learn about the history, like, the, the economy was tanking, like, it just was not good on its own. Right. Well, and it would have, it would have entered the Union as a slave state, right? Because that was in the run-up to the Civil War? Yes. Okay. It was, uh, like, a, a lot of Texans don't like admitting this, but yes, it was, it was a slave state. The, the Texans who were here, like, as an independent country, uh, a lot of them had slaves. That was uh, part of the problem with me doing uh, my research for this, because I didn't want to include anyone who was, you know, by all intents and purposes, although they did cool things, also a racist. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. Pro- real problematic in U.S. history. Dude. <laughs> Yeah, a quick side story, um, when the whole Confederate statue thing was happening in the national news, I, I decided to do a story about the historical statues um, here in Boulder County, Colorado, and it, it's, like, it's like, I've got good news and bad news, like, good news, a lot of these people were Union soldiers, and it's like, woo, and then it's like, uh, bad news, they also massacred Indians in the Sand Creek Massacre. Because they were, like, returning Civil War soldiers who were racist and, like, had PTSD. And Andrew Jackson just, like, let them do whatever. And so you're just like, oh. (laughs) Like, mm." Man, how much of a jerk was Andrew Jackson? I know, right? (laughs) Like, 
Anyways, sorry, sorry. Okay, back to back to Ma. I promise. <laughs> so, uh, good old Ma. She was from Bell County, which, if you don't have your counties of Texas memorized, that's uh, the Colleen area. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and her husband. Um, I, I usually don't like talking about women about their about their husband first because you know they're their own independent person. Yes. But he 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 was interesting, and he was governor first. So I am going to talk about him first. Okay. Just briefly. I'll allow it. Uh, <laughs> okay, I guess. <laughs> but uh, he was governor 10 years before her, uh, but he was impeached because of uh, some money mishandling with his campaign. Uh, he accepted a large amount of campaign money from an undeclared source, mm-hmm. and uh, they used that as grounds to impeach him. Uh, that now there's a belief that it was his political enemies because he he signed in a law that made it harder for uh, for uh, UT Austin to get funding, and that angered some people that were politicians and also alumni and like political bull just happened from that. Uh, yeah. But long story short, like he did do a thing wrong, right? And he got out of office because of that. Like whether or not they. They went digging for dirt because of the political issue. Like, he still did something wrong. Right. Okay. But uh, that made everyone thought because of that and, you know, that she's a woman and the guy running against her was, uh, like, he had a really good history of politics. He wasn't he wasn't an incumbent in that position, but he had a pretty good history in other positions. So everyone was like, yeah, she's not, she's not going to make it. Like, I mean, she could run. There's no law against it, but she's not going to get elected. Well, she ran her butt off. Like she, <laughs> she had, uh, she hired. They had some money. Uh, she hired the best campaign manager she could find. Like, you know, whatever advertising she could get back then. I mean, mass media wasn't the same as it is now. Right. But she ran her butt off, and she won the. It was the 1924 election. That made her become the first female governor of Texas and the second female governor in the U.S. Wow. Uh, now, the first female governor had been declared two weeks earlier before that, the first female governor in the U.S. Wow. Bonus points. Do you know what uh, state it is? Um, can I guess? You can guess. Uh, I'm going to guess. I can give you a hint. Okay, give me a hint. This state said that they would rather stay out of the union than ban women from voting. Oh, shit. This is... This is not going to be good. <laughs> that did help, did it? Yeah, uh, you better just tell me, because I don't know. Wyoming. Damn, Wyoming. But there are, like, 15 right? people in Wyoming. <laughs> and they're all feminists, apparently. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> or at least in, uh, like, 1924. Uh. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say, is that she won in 24, and four years previously, she, like, is when that she got the right to vote. Like, that's insane. Right. So it's even even before she got the right to vote, she was politically active, like with her husband. She was always going to some event or another, like when he was governor. Yeah. Do you? So you could tell politics were always her thing. I have a really like nuanced question that you probably didn't come across in your research, but do you think that the people that voted for her was it like a legitimate like we like her and she can do a good job and women are capable, or was it sort of like? oh, this one's okay, like, she's the exception sort of thinking. So, 
I think, now this is all opinion here. Yeah. Uh, but I think part of it was because, once again, how I said she campaigned her butt off. Yeah. But uh, also because of, they had, her and her husband had their own ideology called Fergusonism. Okay. And you can still see effects of it now. But uh, this was when, like, prohibition was being discussed and uh, Texas didn't even have, uh, I, don't, I don't, it's never really had an income tax. Yeah. But uh, they, were, they were starting the state sales tax. Like, she was pro-sales tax. She was pro-helping um, out the common man. Like, she was all about, her and her husband were both always about helping out the common man. Wow. That's how they called them, common man. Uh, although I, I know that sounds, that can sound a little insulting depending on how you say it. Right. But um, I think it's because of that, she was so popular too. I'm, just, I'm more impressed that like someone convinced Texans to have taxes on things. Like that's amazing. She was like, people say like, oh, she was a Democrat, but she was a fiscal conservative, but she was pro-tax. Hmm. But like she was... Like, you can't, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> she is, her, her politics, like, when you read through it, like, there, she's a little bit of an enigma, and I think that's why, that's why I like her. Like, <laughs> she's just fascinating to me. Yeah, that's so, so she served two terms, one in the 30s, so did she have to deal with the Great Depression in Texas? She, uh, she had to deal with, uh, sort of the aftermath. Yeah. Of it. Um, she, let me see when, cause it was the later thirties, like the mid thirties that she became, uh, oh, oh no, it was 32. Oh, wow. Uh, so yeah, I know she, that's one of the reasons why she was like pro sales tax and, and income tax because she was like, Hey, there's economic issues. There's poor people that need help. Let's help yeah. them. Cause Texas has always, this is another opinion here, but. Texas is super lucky, in my opinion. Like, we have we have oil, we have a lot of like natural resources here, rivers, like bay, like ports, rivers, yeah. ample farmland. Like, Texas, when it comes down to it, could feed its people. Right. And I think she was just trying to help us, help with that. Really, it was so fascinating that like she was like anti-KKK, she passed a an anti-mask law. Oh, wow. That's, and that's it like was a, aimed specifically at the KKK. <laughs> that's awesome. Like, you would think that that would be a, a given, but I know that in, like, the 20s politics, they were actually super powerful. Yeah. That, that was uh, one of the reasons, that was one of the enemies that her and her husband had made politically. One of the reasons why she had so much trouble doing, getting certain laws passed is because she, she didn't she didn't want to play that game. Yeah. Like, she, she didn't want to be caught in bed with the KKK because she just, she didn't like them. She didn't agree with their ideology. Like, she was like, no, these yeah. are bad people. I'm not, yeah, <laughs> I'm not Yeah, good for, for you, Ma Ferguson. <laughs> right side of history right? on that one. Another interesting thing is that she was a teetotaler. Oh. Yeah, now, uh, for anyone that isn't familiar with that term, a teetotaler is someone that doesn't drink alcohol which made it all the more fascinating that she was anti-prohibition. Yeah, that's, cr- that's 
Because like, I read about the teetotalers, and I'm just like, okay, all right. But then the ones that are like, oh, I just don't drink alcohol, but everybody else can. It's just like, oh, thank you. <laughs> right? It's just like, all right, you do you all yeah. me. Totally cool. Here's, <laughs> but, um, I have another qu- here's question how- that I'm not sure if you can sure. answer. I'm sorry. I, I want to know everything. Um, <laughs> were Texans, like, weirded out by having a first husband? Because I know... When you talk about, like, women in positions of power, like, president or governors, there's, like, this question of, like, but what will their husbands do as if, as if, like, they're going to don an apron or something? Um. So, I couldn't, I thought that same question, and I couldn't find any, like, any writings from the time, like, no, like, letters to the editor, like, a husband hanging out, just (laughs) doing nothing all day? Like, I couldn't find anything like that. But uh, I did find a quote from her, uh, which was, it was like a campaign slogan or a campaign speech that she Mm -hmm. had made. And uh, it was, I forget the exact words, but it was basically like, my husband has the experience here too, and I fully intend to use that. You're getting two governors for the price of one. Oh, wow, that's crazy. And she, she, uh, she made it, like, completely clear, like, we are a team, like... I, I ask him for advice. Like we're we're together in this, oh. so I don't think there would have been this image of him just like being like the first lady and like what does the first lady even do? Yeah. Like huh. I, they seem to have made it pretty clear to me, to my 2018 brain at least. But maybe back then they would have been like, oh, he's totally emasculated by his working yeah. wife. Huh. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was so strange <laughs> just to, like, she was, like, completely honest about how how she plans to use her husband. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, good for her. There, oh, I, I had to, to Google it because there was a campaign slogan that made me laugh. Uh, it's me for ma, and I ain't got a darned thing against pa. <laughs> Again, <laughs> the most Texas thing to ever exist. Like, <laughs> oh man, I I want to I want to cross stitch that and put it on my wall and then when people are like, "What?" and I'm like, "Oh my god, you don't know about Ma Ferguson?" Listen up. <laughs> you don't know about Ma Ferguson? Well, let me tell yeah. you. <laughs> but um yeah, she she made a lot of like controversial decisions in her uh like in her tenure as governor mm-hmm. in either in either term. And, uh, she's actually the reason why, uh, I know in Texas, I don't know if it's true in other states, because, you know, my state expertise is all in Texas. Right. Uh, that, uh, Texas governors can't pardon. Oh, I thought... Like, they can't pardon prisoners, they, there's no, there's just, they just can't. And I've seen it in movies before, like oh, the governor's going to pardon you at midnight, so you're not going to be electrocuted or whatever. But, like, I had always known, like, well, that's not the case in Texas. Like, the Texas governor can't do that. It's a a committee. It's a, what's it called? It's like the parole, Texas parole and pardoning board, something Uh like that. And uh, I I hadn't wondered why, but she is why. Because... (laughs) She decided to solve the the problem of overcrowding in Mm -hmm. prisons. Because even in, like, the the 1920s and 30s, overcrowding in prisons was a problem. Um, 
even more so because of all the prohibition arrests. I was going to say, yeah, it's, it's kind of like the drug <laughs> war, you know, that we were dealing with, but with alcohol. Yeah, and what she did was pardon the people that were, nowadays we'd probably use the term non-violent offenders, right. uh, who had got arre- arrested because of alcohol. <laughs> what did they call them in, in Texas in the 20s, like just rabbling scrabblers? <laughs> I don't know, but I kind of want it to be that. <laughs> ah, these rabble scrabblers. <laughs> yeah, they're not like stabby stabbies. They're just rabbling scrabblers. <laughs> I just pictured my grandma. <laughs> and that was beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, uh, she, she pardoned, um, I read that it came out to be a hundred people a month, like if you averaged it. Wow, was she D- during her tenure as was governor? Was she like against the death penalty? I couldn't find any information on that. Actually, that's a good question. But uh, it most of it was uh, prohibition arrests. Oh, right. Okay, because she didn't like prohibition. Right, and uh, she viewed it as like these people aren't doing anything, any harm. They're, they were just drinking at a bar. They were just, you know doing whatever and uh, she would pardon them and because of that like everyone was really uncomfortable with all the pardons she was Mm -hmm. giving they were like this has to be like a form of corruption or something so uh, like about a year maybe two years no it's two years after her term ended the uh they passed a law in the in the congress in the texas congress saying no more pardons for the governor it has to be through this uh it's a non it's a nonpartisan independent politically independent board that does wow. it. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> I just I imagine her like arriving at heaven and and being like, "So what did you do?" It's just like, "Well, I let off a bunch of drinkers and I let off so many drinkers that they had to make a law that said that my position couldn't let people out of jail anymore." <laughs> yeah, like that's that has to be an just a ridiculous amount of uh, of drinkers yeah. let go. I like Ma Ferguson. Right? I I like her, but I like this next person even more. Oh, shit, okay. <laughs> because just like everything I learned about her, I've heard, I've heard about her before. Uh, her name is Bessie Coleman. She's a famous aviator. Okay, Bessie? And because because I'm a, yes, Bessie. B-E-S-S-I-E. Okay. And uh, because I'm a huge nerd, you know, <laughs> I've heard famous aviator names before. But I actually learning about her life was like just really cool because she uh you can tell that she had some troubles growing up, but she she overcame them and then just became like totally awesome. And I don't know, I'm just in love. <laughs> so she was the first woman of African American or Native American descent to hold a pilot license. Wait, what? her parents her dad his name was george he was cherokee and african-american and her mom susan was african-american so she was mixed race wow and the first person in the whole country in the whole world uh first woman in the country okay in the country in the country of either rate of either african-american or native american descent wow that's crazy because at the time uh now this is uh she was born in 1892 i like how that sounds 
1892. It has a nice ring to it. it you, it's because you're probably thinking of the song in 1492, Columbus Sailed the Ocean oh, Blue. yeah, that fucker Columbus. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that guy. <laughs> now, this, this, she was a much better person than oh, Columbus. it's a low bar. <laughs> it is a very low bar. <laughs> so, Bessie... She was born in Atlanta, Texas, because you know how Texas likes having, like, they, we like having towns <laughs> named after other towns. <laughs> so she was born in Atlanta, but then she moved to Waxahachie when she was young. Oh, I know about Waxahachie because that's what um, kids would actually call me in high school sometimes. That is, how, how on earth did you get that nickname? <laughs> because my last name is Antonacci. Oh, okay, and they were just <laughs> they were just coming up with words that sound the same. All right. <laughs> yep, they're like they weren't very creative. I was like, you're not even from Waxahachie. Like, what did you <laughs> did you go there? I was someone someone was on a road trip and they were like, hey, Antonacci, I saw a weird a weird ass name on a sign. I'm gonna call you Waxahachie now. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, I guess it's not better or worse. Like, as far as nicknames go, that's pretty benign. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, she moved there when she was uh when she was really young. She was she was like two. So she has no memory of her first town. Okay. Like as far as she's concerned, she grew up there. And uh when she was nine, her father left to go back to Oklahoma, or as it was known at the time, Indian territory. Ah. <laughs> okay. Because he, he was part Cherokee and he was Oh right. He was gonna seek opportunities there. And for whatever reason, the family didn't go with him. Okay. So uh, Susan, her mom, was essentially a single mom for, like, the rest of her childhood. Mm -hmm. For the rest of Bessie's childhood. So uh, she went to a segregated school, sign of the times. um, Right. Because this is, like, the 1900s now, right? uh, Yeah, this would be, like, 1901. Yeah. Um. And then she went to a, a Baptist church school on a scholarship when, uh, when she was 12. And that she graduated from there. So when she graduated, she enrolled at a university in Oklahoma. Uh, I forget the name of it then, but it's called Langston University now. Okay. And it's one of those, uh, it's an HBCU. Oh, okay. Historically um, black college so, and university. Yes. So that was one of the places that she had... Um, thought would be good for her there but unfortunately and i can feel for her here she ran out of money and had to leave school ah yes and lo would it happen to students for 100 more years (laughs) at least yeah uh so she only went to school for uh for one term and when she uh when she came back home she kind of just like picked up jobs around around town um she learned uh how to do like barbershop work beauty work so she moved to chicago uh her brothers were already living up there and she started working at a barbershop there and this was around the time pilots were returning from world war one okay and they would come in they would talk to her and she just like she just fell in love with the idea of flying yeah so she got a second job to save up money to become a pilot because she was like, I've never done this, but she knew like, this is, this is my life's Did, work. Would she, would she have known that not only like, has she never done this, but no one like her had done it? 
I'm pretty sure she knew because at the time, flight, American flight schools didn't accept women or minorities. <laughs> so <laughs> she was in a completely new field wow. for her there. So, okay, so she's saving up to go to pilot school, which won't accept her, like double won't accept her. Right. But the, the kind of person that she was, um, she made a promise to herself saying, like, I'm going to be something when I'm older. And, like, it was, like, a non-specified, like, she wasn't like, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that. You know how kids say, like, I'm going to be a doctor when I yeah. grow up. It wasn't like that. Like, she was just like, I'm going to be something. Yeah. So when she found out what that something was that she wanted, like, she went, like, 100% full force. She, It's going to happen. Cool. There's a, there was a man in, in um, Chicago that he had the, uh, he had an all, like, an African-American newspaper. Like, everyone that worked there was African-American. Like, the, the news that they had, uh, like, was centered around that. It's called, it was called the Chicago Defender. And uh, his name, it's, it's Robert Abbott. He encouraged her, go abroad. Because you're not going to have the same problems in Europe that you're having in America. So she got... Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Yeah, it, it made sense. Um, so she got backing from that newspaper and from uh, the first African-American bank in Chicago. Oh, wow. To, uh, to help her. She got, they basically backed her trip to Paris. That's awesome. And just as a side note, um, again, like I've got a tenuous grasp on U.S. history, but there were African-American institutions in Chicago because slaves fled to there. Am I right about that, or am I completely off? No, you're, you're right. Uh, okay. But keep in mind that, like, just because slaves fled there doesn't necessarily mean that the, the city itself wasn't still racist. Like, there oh, was no. still, like, clearly racism was going on. She couldn't find anyone in Chicago to, to teach her flying, or anywhere else in the U.S. for that matter. No, I just assume anytime you're talking about American history, if you ever go, like, well, I assume it wasn't racist, like, you're wrong. <laughs> So that's totally fair. Yeah. <laughs> so she went to get her pilot's license, and she trained in the Paris area. And France, not Texas. I want to be clear. Oh, cool. <laughs> Just in case. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she came back to, to the U.S. as, like a, like, a little bit of a media sensation. Like, they weren't, like totally enamored and fascinated with it. They were just kind of like, oh, look, it's the first African-American woman to get her pilot's license. Isn't that neat? Like, let's take some pictures. Right. There wasn't, like, a huge ticker tape parade or any, any of that kind of stuff. But, like, it was just kind of a curiosity yeah. point. So, at the time, mm. uh, here's how long ago this was. Commercial flight was not common yet. Right. And much less, like, even if there was commercial flight, she probably would have had problems, like, being hired same way she had problems even getting her pilot's license. Right. Um, so she knew that the only way as a civilian, because she's not in the military or anything, mm -hmm. to to make money, the best way is to be a stunt pilot. Uh, they also called them, I think it was barnstormers. Oh, wow. This this <laughs> lady. It's like, I want to be a pilot. Well, no schools will accept you. Okay, I'll go to France. And then she gets back. And it's like, well... You can't be in the military, and no one will hire you, so we're going to need you to do the most dangerous kind of flying uh, for entertainment. It's like, okay, great. 
basically. <laughs> and, um, but she knew, like, okay, stunt flying naturally is very dangerous. Right. And she, she's a newbie pilot. Like, she knows she needs to increase her skills. Oh, I'm worried about her. <laughs> oh, just wait. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have you on, on the edge of your seat here in a minute. Uh, oh, no. So... She looked around for people to teach her in the U.S., and she ran into the same problem. No one's going to teach her because she's a woman and she's a minority. Right. So, back to France. <laughs> so, she trained in France, in the Netherlands, in Germany. Like, she trained from a lot of places. Uh, there was this... Uh, this French pilot that she befriended that was known for being like a, like an ace pilot, like just like a daring guy who could really uh, like pull off some cool stunts and she learned from him and she was confident like, all right, I can do some wacky stunts, gonna return to the right. US. So she, she made her debut at an air show, like someone let her show, show her skills. It was at a air show honoring the, uh, the all black it was the 369th infantry of world war one oh cool so it was an air show honoring those veterans and uh it was led by the same man who owned the newspaper uh <laughs> robert abbott nice and like he he just sounds like he like the people that have i'm gonna mention a couple people here in a minute too like the people that support her like i guess she was so charismatic because people that supported her like they were for her 100%, like, years down the line, too. Like, she left to Europe, came back, and that guy was still supporting her. Wow, that's awesome. Like, like I guess people could tell, like, she, like, this, this chick's gonna make it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, she gained a reputation for being, like, the, the brave one, the daring one, the one to do, like, the weird things that require a lot of skill. Like, she did the crazy stunts. She was, uh, she was making a speaking tour. And she met a reverend. Uh, his name was Hezekiah Hill. And his Hezekiah. Wife, uh, wow. Hezekiah. What a... that, now, if that's not a reverend name. I know. That's what I was going to say. Like, <laughs> man, that guy can preach. <laughs> right? And uh, and his wife, Viola. And they uh, they essentially adopted her. Like, I mean, she was an adult by then. And clearly, it wasn't a legal adoption. But they, they took her in. uh they invited her to stay with them and just like supported her and encouraged her. She opened a new uh, a beauty parlor in they were in uh, Florida in Orlando. She opened a beauty parlor in Orlando to save up to buy her own plane and open her own flight school. Wow! Because she didn't want people like if there's any other women or minorities that were having the same problems as her that wanted to become pilots, like she wanted a place for yeah. them. Which is like it's just like super cool. That's so. It's kind of like, well, I'm just going to make my own flight school then, whatever. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, it's like she had so many barriers and, like, she just got, like, a little chink in the wall, like, you know, chipped away at this wall and chipped away at this wall. And then she's like, well, I made it, and now I'm going to, like, make it easier for other people. Yeah. And she, it's, to me, it's kind of like she was also, because when she first came to Chicago, she had a job in a beauty parlor. Now she's owning her own beauty parlor. Yeah. So it's like she's kind of starting over, but, like, one step ahead. Right? That's amazing. It is. And, like, her resilience is just, like, it's just impressive. Uh, but she was offered a role in a movie, but 
And she accepted initially, but then she backed out because she learned that uh, the first scene, she would wear, like, tattered clothes and, like, have, like, a sack on her back. Oh, wow. And a walking stick. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to play, like, a, like, oh, look at this poor black girl. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't having it. She was not having it. She made a statement that was, like, she's, she's refusing to perpetuate the image, uh, like, the stereotype image that white people had of African Americans at the time. Wow. Like, there's enough of that in the media. She didn't need to add more. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and, like, I mean, she was just demanding respect from people. And, I, you know, she earned it. Like, I don't see why she didn't have it. <laughs> uh, racism. Racism. <laughs> and and sexism, probably. <sighs> but The twin bastards. Yeah, exactly. That's crazy. Wow. So that's Bessie Coleman? Yes. And here's the part that it's going to... It's going to make you sad, but it's okay. okay. It's okay, because she left a legacy. Remember that. Okay. So she never got to open her own flight oh. school. Because she bought a plane. She had bought a poorly maintained aircraft from da- from a place in Dallas. And uh, her mechanic, his name was, uh, his name's funny to me. It's William Wills. <laughs> they just gave up. <laughs> they did. <laughs> Her, his name is William Wills, and he flew it from Dallas to Florida for an air show that they were going to do. Okay. And in that flight, he had to do three forced landings. Oh, okay. No good. Because of the condition of the craft. Oh, shit. Yeah, a forced landing is like an almost right. crash, basically. Yeah. It's like... A crash that didn't end bad. <laughs> it's like you saying to the plane, like, you can't fire me, I quit. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, Bessie, she was advised to not fly by her, her friends, her family, her mechanic. Everybody that knew about the condition of the plane right. told her, like, this is not a stunt plane right now. This does not have, like, the repairs needed yet. But she was nothing if not daring. Right. So she, w- she was ready to go up there, and up she went. So her mechanic was piloting the plane, and she was not wearing her seatbelt because she uh, she was going to do a parachute jump the next day for a stunt that she was doing, and she didn't have her she didn't have her seatbelt on because she was looking out like over the terrain, trying to like plan her stunt. Uh, I see. Which was a perfectly routine thing to do at the time, but I mean, you know, always wear your seatbelt, kids. Uh, yeah, seriously. Ten minutes into the flight, the plane took a dive, oh. and then a spin. Oh no! And she was thrown from the plane at 2,000 feet up. Did she make it? She died when she hit the ground. Yeah, that's what I figured. And her mechanic, he was unable to regain control of the plane, and it plummeted to the ground and burst into flames. Wow, did he die? He died on impact as well. Man. So neither one of them made it to, you know, their their stunt or anything, but uh, when they examined the wreckage, they found that the reason why he was unable to gain, regain control of the plane is because a wrench had been left, like, in the in the works in there that had jammed up the control. A literal wrench in, in the... Yeah, it was literally a wrench jamming God up the works. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and, I mean, clearly this wasn't an act of sabotage. Like, he was in the plane, too. Yeah. Like, this was just, like, human error just causing a crappy situation. Yeah. But... The reason why I say she left a legacy is because if you look through, like, like even just go to her Wikipedia page and you could see it, uh, there are so many things named after her. Oh, that's awesome. And there's so many, there's so many people who have said, like, oh, she is my inspiration. 
like African Americans who have done great things, even if it's not in aviation, are just like, no, she's bold, she did it, I'm gonna be bold and do it too. That's I can't believe that there's not like a a, a really popular movie about her. Like, wouldn't that make a great movie? Oh yeah, <laughs> like a a biopic. That's true. You know, I, I I'm I always fall asleep during movies, so I never really think about what would make a great one, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would that would be a good movie. But yeah, so uh, that's all I got for you. That's my little list of awesome women. Well, okay, so may we all have the creativity of Betty Graham and I want to just say, like, the cannonballs, the balls of... Um... <laughs> <laughs> we all need the balls. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and maybe the cannon, I don't know. <laughs> Um, I'm going to say, like, the compassion of Ma Ferguson and the sheer persistence of Bessie Coleman. Oh, yeah, I agree. You know, speaking of compassion, there's one thing I forgot to mention about uh, Ma Ferguson. Oh, what? So she's often credited um, with uh, saying something. I forget what the exact words were, but it sounded kind of racist. Uh and when I read it, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I mean. Damn it. <laughs> oh, like, I know. Oh, a racist figure in <laughs> Texas history, you say. Right. Do go on. Yeah. But it's, uh, if Jesus was good enough for, uh, if English was good enough for Jesus Christ, it ought to be good enough for the children of Texas. Okay. So she's credited with saying that. But just in case anyone's out there that thinks she actually said that. Uh, that quote goes back to 1881, and she would have been, like, five. Ah, aha. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was actually, uh, it was written by, uh, like, a propaganda group. Right. That was, uh, that was actually ridiculing the backwardness of Christians. I, I was gonna say, because, uh, you know, Jesus, I don't think he spoke English, because it didn't exist yet. Um, but I mean, I'm no Bible doctor. She was credited with like, yeah, just having compassion for like even school children who were like struggling and like clearly Texas, as much as we fight against it as a bilingual state. And like, I, I looked for it because that made me curious. Like, was she ever racist against Hispanics? Because there's a lot of Texas history that is, and I'm happy to report that I couldn't find anything. (laughs) Well, that's great. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Sarah. Oh, no, thank, thank you. This is like, this has been a super cool thing to like learn and then talk about just a bunch of cool people. Yeah. Um, I guess, I mean, the last question that we ask everybody, um, and <laughs> you almost have a cheat sheet because you've been like studying badass women through history. Um, but I mean, choose anyone you want, but like, uh, is there any particular chingonas that like I- inspire you on a day-to-day basis? Are we allowed to pick family members? Yes, almost everybody says their mom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually, if I had to pick two, it would be my grandma and my mom. But if it's one, I'm going with my grandma. And why is she a chingona to you? Because grandma has like, always kept it together like our family i mean every family goes through some crazy stuff Mm -hmm. but anytime our family goes through something crazy like grandma's got it like she's in charge everyone like everyone knows she's quite possibly the smartest person i've ever met yeah and like 
I mean, all of us have, I guess. Like, I've met some pretty smart people, and I've always been like, my grandma's smarter than that. Like, she's sharper than that. <laughs> she she knows more than that. Uh, and she's always, like, she's one of the nicest people, too. And, like, you know, well, you know me on a personal level. Yeah. Like, how I value, I value niceness. I value compassion. Yeah. You're, like, a, just a and, ball of kindness. <laughs> oh, thank <laughs> you. But, like, that's where I get it from. Because, like, she has done so many nice deeds for so many people. Like, She's given people, like, the pots and pans from her kitchen before because oh. they needed yeah. it. And, like, she was like, I can get more. It's fine. They need oh. it. No. It's like, <laughs> like, that's literally you're giving someone your kitchen. What are you yeah. doing? <laughs> but, like, it's she's just, I don't know, she's just awesome. Hello, present day Karen here again. I hope you enjoyed our talk and like learned about some Texas chingonas. I did. Um, and if you like this sort of like historical sort of perspective, please let us know because Leah is actually thinking of doing a Colorado edition. So, um, you know, let us, let us know through our Twitter and Instagram. We are at chingona podcast and on our website is chingonapodcast.com. We drop new episodes every other Monday, so please make sure to rate and subscribe on iTunes. Okay, hasta next time. Bye!